You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Amen. Amen. Before we jump into this message, I want you to hear this loud and clear. There's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. The greatest person you will ever meet in this world is Jesus. He will, he will give you things that you didn't even know existed. He loves you. He cares about you. He can transform any home, any heart, any marriage. He's a great Savior. And right now we're looking at this message series called Life After the Tomb. And what we're looking at are the, the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And Scripture says that Jesus met with a lot of people. In fact, Jesus famously meets two people on this road. So I want to ask you a question before we jump into this. Here's the question. Where are you going? What's your destination? Maybe you're waiting for something to happen. Maybe it's a job position that you're hoping to have one day. Maybe it's a status in life that you long for. Maybe you're single right now and you're hoping to get married one day. Maybe you're working towards a degree or, or maybe you're waiting for the day when you're financially better off. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's an unanswered prayer and you're waiting for God to answer this prayer. He hasn't yet. And you feel like you're in transition. You're in the in-between of life. Where are you at right now? The story that we're looking at today is a famous story. It comes out of Luke chapter 24, and it's two people that are in between Jerusalem and this place known as Emmaus. And they're on this dusty road, and it involves them walking along, and all of a sudden, this stranger shows up and starts talking to them, and it's known as the road to Emmaus. I have this picture at my home this picture is from uh, Robert Zund in 1877. And this picture right here is this, this idyllic setting. It seems to be nice and a leisurely walk in the woods. It's a sunny Sunday afternoon in the Judean countryside. And the two disciples are giving their attention to this stranger that, that has joined them on their journey. Let me give you another visual of what the road to Emmaus may have looked like. Laugh perplexed. News travel fast on this resurrection day. Who could explain this? Jesus' tomb was empty. All that heard the news that day. And those passing through Jerusalem heard that nothing would be the same. Two of these men walked to Emmaus, a town nearby. The conversation ranged, different stories, different pages, but they both agreed on one thing. Nothing be the same. As they kept walking, a third man joined them, seemingly unaware of the miracle, but they explained the news to him like it was new to him, and weren't used to him, and even still he tried to get through to him. 
He explained the words of the prophets that only the Messiah could do these things. But the alarm didn't ring. The two men couldn't really see him. This man was the very same king they were describing. And that could have been the end of the scene. But not with Jesus. They sat down for a meal, and only there in community did Jesus reveal who he was to the two men he met in the field. Our past makes so much more sense when we see that he's real. So we walk, we experience God, sometimes blind to the path he has for us, each of us looking back on the road we've been on. We'll see that he was there every step of the way. All right, let's jump into this here. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 says this. That same day, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. The distance from Jerusalem to Emmaus, as scripture just said, is seven miles. Grace and I go on walks uh, sometimes during the day. A lot of times at night, we take our dog, Caddy, who still needs Jesus. (laughs) But one one mile walk is about 20 minutes. So this walk right here from Jerusalem to Emmaus would take approximately two hours and 20 minutes one way. So here's what I want you to hear. They have time to talk. Verse 20, verse 14 says this, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So I want you to understand this. These two followers are not part of the 12 apostles of Christ. We don't know a whole lot about these two guys. We know later on, one of them, his name is Cleopas, but we don't know what the other person's name is. So they are walking along and Jesus shows up. It's a reminder to me that we could go through life and not recognize when God is right by us, when Jesus is sitting there, his very presence is with us. We could be, as verse 16 talked about, we could be spiritually blind. We could be spiritually blind. We could go through life and we could be between our Jerusalem and our Emmaus and miss out on what God is doing. We could miss out and not recognize that God is doing something right around us and we don't see it. We're spiritually blind. We can read God's word and be spiritually blind and put it down and say, I just don't understand it. I don't get it at all. We could miss out. Verse 17 says this. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? See, Jesus knew what they were talking about. He knew. And he's asking them, so what are you talking about? (laughs) And and, And Jesus said, as you walk along, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And they're about to tell Jesus what they're thinking, what they're talking about. 
But Scripture says, as they walked along. I want you to really, I really want you to get this. See, sometimes we think the space, the in-between of life is meaningless, or it doesn't count for anything, or there's no great consequences, and you're not expecting a miracle. Here's the truth. These two guys were not expecting a miracle. They were not expecting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to show up in the in-between of their life on that dusty road. And sometimes, here's our problem, sometimes we could get hung up on the destination we want to get off off that dusty road as soon as possible. And we can get hung up on the destination and we convince ourselves stuff like, when I get to that destination, when I have that job, when I get married, when I move out or when I get that home or when I make so much money and you get hung up on the destination and you convince yourself, when that happens, my life will look different. Everything will make sense. Then I will be happy. Then I'll have all my act together. And then everything's going to be better when I arrive at my destination. I want you to hear this. You are not wasting time. God's not wasting time. God cares about your life between the Jerusalem and the Emmaus. Have you ever been on a road trip with someone who uh, is hung up on the destination? They're on that road trip and they're driving and, 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 and they don't stop for anything. <laughs> they don't stop for anything. And you're thinking, you know, are you going to stop? When is the next gas stop? Because I really have to go. And they're just like, we got to get there. And they're just pushing it. They're going as fast as they can. They don't know how to enjoy the dusty road. We can make that same, same mistake in life. You can make that same mistake. You get hung up on the destination and you forget about, you know what? God is working right now. God is building you up right now. You know, research has shown that today's generation is hung up on this phrase right here. It's this illusion of perfection. The illusion of perfection is what you see on social media. You see someone's best, their best look, their best life, you see their body and the way the light is hitting them and they look good. And you think, well, when I have that body, when I can get that life and I'm going to strive for that illusion of perfection and you miss out on today. See, the problem with the illusion of perfection is you discredit the dusty road. You discredit the dusty road. You convince yourself there's no greater consequences on the dusty road. You need to hear this. God cares more about your journey than your destination. God cares more about your journey along the way than your destination. God cares about the in-between. God was with Moses along the way. See, God promised through Moses this promised land, this place that all the Israelites would be, but it was along the way that Moses learned about God and Moses learned about himself. It was along the way when Moses discovered the God of Israel is greater than all the Egyptian gods put together. It was along the way that Moses discovered nothing is impossible for God. He can even part a Red Sea. It was along the way that Moses discovered God is so big, he could rain down manna from heaven every single day. 
He discovered, you know what? Along the way, I discovered God is so big, he can make water come out of a rock. It was along the way that Moses discovered who God was, who God is. It was along the way. See, your greatest revelations of God. Oh, you need to hear this. Your greatest revelations of God will come not from your destination, but it will come from your walk on the dusty road along the way. Your greatest revelations won't come from the destination. It'll come between your Jerusalem and your Emmaus road along the way. Verse 18 says this, Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, and he's telling Jesus, Jesus is saying, what are you guys talking about? And he says this to Jesus, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. See, what Jesus went through in Jerusalem from Palm Sunday and, and, and the cross on Good Friday and, and, and the, the tomb and being buried, that was very public. It was well known. This miracle worker, this great teacher, this prophet went through all this and they scourged him and they crucified him and he was put to death. It was well known. His story was well known. In fact, 25 years later, after this right here in Luke chapter 24, 25 years later, you come to Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 26, you see this conversation between the apostle Paul and this king named Agrippa. And he's talking to King Agrippa and another gentleman named Festus. And he's talking to them and he tells King Agrippa, you know the story of Jesus. You know, it wasn't done. His exact words was, these things weren't done in a corner. And he tells King Agrippa, 25 years later, you know the story. This is public. I love Jesus's response to Cleopas. Verse 19, what things Jesus asked? that interesting? It's like, why would Jesus ask that question? <laughs> he tells them, yeah, these, this stuff happened in Jerusalem and, and Jesus is the center. He's the main event. He's the, he is the guy. And Jesus tells them, what things? What are you guys talking about? What, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priest and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Did you see that? They're saying we had hoped he was the Messiah. This all happened three days ago. Verse 22. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. They want you to see something here. Cleopas and his friends they were not looking for a spiritual savior. They're looking for a political savior. 
They say Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a great prophet. He was a miracle worker. He was a teacher. And they did these horrible things. But our hope is gone because now he's dead. In essence, here's what they're entertaining, what life would look like without the resurrection. It's the reality that the bad guys won. And in their mind, they're thinking, we're still under the hand of Rome. We needed a political savior, and he's dead. He's gone. We had hoped he would redeem us and save us, be the King David of 2.0, and free us from Roman slavery. That was our hope, but it didn't happen. And when I, when I look at them, I, I, I see myself in it. I see us in it because many times, most of us, when we turn to God, we turn to God because we need a change of circumstances in our life. We turn to God because we say, God, I, I have this problem in my life. So I'm turning to you, God, to fix this problem. I need, here's the to-do list for you, God. <laughs> I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to give this a chance. But here's your job, God. I need you to work here and here and here and here. Help me, God. Help me with my school. Help me with this test. Help me with this problem. Help me with this friend. Help me sleep at night. Help me with my career. Help me with my boss. Help me with my finances. Help me get a new car. Help me get a new house. Whatever it is, we come to God with a list of problems, and we say, God, here's what I want you to do. And like Cleopas, we, can, we have to be careful because Cleopas said this was, the, this was the job description of Jesus to free us from Rome, but Jesus didn't do that. He did way more than that, but Cleopas can't see that. Any Cleopases out there? Do you turn to God with a to-do list? You always come to God as a sufferer needing help. You don't come to God as a sinner needing redemption. It's our human nature. We turn to God as a sufferer needing help, not as a sinner needing redemption. Do you see yourself someone who desperately needs redemption? Do you see yourself as someone who's just like, God, I need redemption. I need you so bad. I am a slave to this sin and the end of it is hell itself. I need you, God. And without you, God, I'm doomed. I'm desperate. You turn to God with that kind of desperation. If all you want from God is some peace, that's all you'll get. If all you want from God is money, that's all you'll get. If all you want from God is this job, that's all you'll get. If all you want from God is that woman or that man or, or whatever it is, that's all you will get. Maybe a better question to ask is this, how much of God do you want in your life? How much of God do you want in your life? They are human nature when we turn to God, like Cleopas. Many times we say, God, here's the to-do list, but I don't want you to touch these things. I don't want you to look at my sex life, God. I don't want you to look at what I do at night when nobody's around. I don't want you to look at my lifestyle, God. You understand, God, I don't need you to look at this area. I just want your blessings outside, but I don't want you to change this, God. So you have a God who's jealous for all of you. He wants all of you. He wants you to know him fully, fully. 
Let me ask you this question here. Just ask it a little bit differently. Do you come to Jesus saying, I'm a sinner in need of deep redemption? Or do you come to Jesus saying, I've got problems I need you to fix? How do you turn to God? How do you do that? Let me say it this way. The depth of your understanding of God's purpose for your life is directly proportional to your spiritual brokenness. The depth of your understanding of God's grace for your life is directly proportional to your spiritual brokenness. The depth of your understanding of God's purpose for your life, God's plan, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy is directly proportional to your spiritual brokenness. And let me say this one more, one more level. The, the, the depth of your understanding of God's word is directly proportional to your spiritual brokenness. You get out of God whatever, however broken you are. Great men of God have been broken. Great women have been broken. Great preachers have been broken. Great leaders of God have been broken. Great missionaries have been broken. Great parents Great friends have been broken. See, you have a God who cares about the process. He cares about the process. And unless you see the depth of your spiritual slavery, you will not know Jesus fully. Verse 25, look what happens. Look what Jesus says to these guys. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You foolish people. It's a strong word. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. He says, you foolish people. Do you notice what Jesus does? Jesus makes it clear to these guys, you don't have a head issue. You have a heart issue. You don't need more information. You just need to believe. You have everything in your hand to believe. And Jesus says to them, you're foolish people. Verse 26 says this, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer? Jesus is telling this. Wasn't it clearly predicted all these things before entering his glory? Verse 27, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This word explaining in the original Greek language, if you unpack it, it literally means sticking close to the text. See, there's nothing more powerful than the word of God. And when you read scripture, you stick close to the text. And you see what God says to you, and he will reveal his grace and his love for your life. You have to learn to be a student of God's word. He wants to teach you to go to the well. Don't rely on someone else. He wants to teach you to go to the well. He wants to teach you about his character, about his faithfulness, about his love. He wants you to learn to go to the well. Jesus used the Bible to help Cleopas understand his purpose. 
Verse 28 says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. I want to stop right there because this is so big. Jesus is sitting down with them. And it's while he's sitting down, he's breaking the bread and and he's blessing it and he's giving thanks and he's giving it to them. And and the only other time that happened in scripture is during the feeding of the 5,000. When he fed an entire crowd of 5,000 plus people, he he had a few loaves. He had five loaves and two fish and he broke it and he blessed it. And another time was at the Passover, the the last supper. At the last supper, he did it with his disciples as well. Now during the feeding of the 5,000, He was showing everyone that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the new manna. And of course, at the Lord's Supper, he was showing his disciples that his bread, his body was about to be broken and his blood was about to be shed for for the forgiveness of sins, for the remission of sins. And he was about to become a living sacrifice for all of us. And he's doing this again. It's, It's an incredible reminder. Verse 32, or verse 31 says this, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. He's gone. Like, well, he was right here. We know we walked with him for two and a half hours and now he's gone. What happened? It was at that moment, but their spiritual eyes were open. And at that moment, they recognized this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the living one. He was put in a grave, but look, he's standing right here. We've been talking to him the whole time. He ate with us. He ate with us. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? and explain the scriptures to us. You ever had your heart burn within you? Maybe you were in a church service and you felt like that preacher was just preaching right to you. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was that time and maybe you were on a walk and whatever it was, but there was something inside. It was a holy conviction and something inside was stirring inside of you and you just know It was the very finger of God stirring your heart. Something happened. They say, looking back at their time with Jesus, didn't their hearts burn within them as he talked on the road? You know, I want to have this right here. It's kind of like like this. There's something that happens when we're between that Jerusalem and that Emmaus and we're walking on this dusty road and we haven't got to the destination yet. But as we walk along, like Moses, we are discovering God's grace. And there's something that happens when we we sit back and and, and we, we look back. We look back and we say, wow, look how good God is. Look at his faithfulness. I look back and I can see his grace. I look back and I can see his mercy. 
I look back and I can see him working through everything for his own good. Now I understand why that happened to me. Now I can see how God worked through that woman. Now I can see how God worked everything out. Now I can see how God worked through that man. And I have a new understanding of God's grace. A crazy thing happens. You become aware of who God is like Moses and you discover that time in between was incredibly valuable. In fact, it was more valuable than Jerusalem or Emmaus itself. The destination pales in comparison to what God was doing all along. He's been watching me all along. He's been with me all along. And the joy comes from the walk along the way when you recognized his presence. And it was during that difficult time when you were in that home, in that marriage, in that relationship, in those, those financial challenges, in the time in between where you saw God moving and you recognize who he is and you fall more in love with him. It's not your destination that's most important. It's not that prayer that hasn't been answered. It's not the place that you hope to arrive that's most important. It's not the breakthrough that you're waiting on. The most important thing that will happen to you is God with you along the way. It's what you learn about God while you wait. It's what you learn about God while you wait. It's when you look back and you see, oh, God is so good. God is so good. It's that time in between. There is this incredible life that we have in Christ. There's this incredible life. You know, when you keep reading this passage, in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, you read about Jesus meeting with all of the disciples, including Cleopas and, and his friend. And they are there. And they all recognize who Jesus is. But Jesus does something in verse 45. Scripture says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Wow. Now, I don't know how Jesus did that. I don't know if he touched everyone on their forehead, or, or I, don't know if, I don't know what he did. But he opened their minds. And at that point... They had a greater understanding of God's word. Now they saw Jesus because here's the truth. Everything in this good book points to Jesus. Everything in this book points to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and omega. He is the bright and morning star. He is the word of God. Everything points to Jesus. But some of you, that needs to be your prayer God, open my mind to understand your scripture. God, open my, eye, my mind to understand what you want of me. Open my mind to your will for my life, God. Open my mind so that when I look at the scripture, I understand it. Go to the well. God wants to teach you to go to the well. God wants you to learn the joy of spending time with him every morning. You could have your cup of coffee with you, whatever it is. God wants you to learn the joy of spending time with him. And it is so rich. It is, there's so 
much joy. And as you do it, as you, as you lap up this, this word, you will discover that this right here is the greatest treasure on earth, spending time with God in his word. Here's what I want to do. I want to say two prayers. Some of you, you are in desperate need of a Savior. And maybe, maybe right now, maybe the Spirit of God has been stirring your heart and you recognize, I need, I need to be saved. I need forgiveness in my life. And God wants you to experience that forgiveness right now, right where you are at, whether you're sitting down on that couch or sitting down on that chair, wherever you're at, God wants you to know his grace at a personal level. Others of you, God wants to give you a new spiritual understanding. God doesn't want you to be spiritually blind. God wants you to see his word and see his, life, his will for your life. God wants you to know him fully. So let me pray for you. And if you're ready to receive Jesus Christ, I wanna, I'm going to ask you to pray with me this prayer. Let's pray together. God, right now we humble ourselves and we come to you. And if you're ready and you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you right now to forgive me for my sins. I'm a sinner in need of redemption. Come into my heart. With my heart I believe and with my mouth I confess. I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. I want to become a Christian right now. So I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my God to walk with me along the way. Forgive me. As best as I know how, I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. Others of you might need to say this prayer. God, right now, I ask you to give me spiritual understanding. Open my mind to your word. Put a new craving in my heart to spend time with you. I don't want to give any more excuses. I want to go to the well. I want to drink from your word. Give me a spiritual insight that I've never had before. Thank you, God, for your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray all this. And the church said, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.